Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quinn Cummings Gives Bad Advice, the podcast where I, Quinn Cummings, give advice to people I do not know. If you're joining us for the first time, you may be asking yourself, does Quinn really want to give me bad advice? And the answer is no, I do not want to give you bad advice. I want to give you good advice. But I have absolutely no qualification to give you any sort of advice at all. I am not CNN. I am not MSNBC. I am not Fox News. I give advice because it amuses me to do so. So you might be asking yourself, will this advice I'm about to give you be good advice? Well, I think the answer is in the title of the podcast. If you want me to give you bad advice, you can leave a question for me at qcbad.com. It's completely anonymous, and better yet, it's completely free. So I can offer up this advice with a 100% money-back guarantee. Now, let's get started. This first one comes from qcbad.com. Subject, going to pawn this off on qcbad.com. Dear Quinn, friends want my opinion, and I am too chicken to take a side. One friend wants to write her own wedding vows and wants her fiancé to as well. The fiancé thinks this is best handled by the professionals and to go with the classics. He points out that neither of them cut their own hair, work on their own cars, or perform their own surgeries. She is seeing this as symbolic. He is seeing this as a reason for her to whip herself up into a bridezilla frenzy for no good reason. They have both tried to rope friends in to take a side. What do you say? I say that, God is willing, they are going to have decades together where they have to figure shit out that only really impacts them. I think this is a ritual, and ritual has to be meaningful to the participants. I think there are two people up there in fancy outfits, and neither one of them are you. All this to say... Metaphorically, pat your friend's hand and tell them, kindly, of course, that while it feels really big, it's just about a minute in a single day of their lives. So, to put it less kindly, she should over-re-up and settle this with her fiancé like a damn adult. This one comes from QCBad.com. Subject, Niece in Need. Dear Quinn, my 19-year-old niece told her parents she would like to live with us, husband, teen daughters, and me. Niece is in her first semester of her local college, quarantined at home with her parents and younger siblings. Their house is several hours away from ours. Me, working mom, primary earner, very progressive values. Sister-in-law, stay-at-home mom, Catholic, conservative. She and I married to brothers, but that's about all we have in common. The brothers have a cordial, though emotionally distant, relationship. Niece is very close to my daughter and has confided in her that she is queer and fears rejection were she to come out. Niece has obvious signs of depression, which her parents appear to be willfully disregarding. They do, however, have plenty of energy for cruel and judgmental commentary. Niece could easily come live with us. We have a spare room. We have the financial means to pay for therapy. The in-laws struggle financially. My question is, how do we give this young woman the safety and support she 
desperately needs while encouraging her to keep open the possibility of improving the relationship with her family. Improving the family relationship feels much less important to me than Nisa's immediate well-being. My husband agrees, but he does worry that his brother will view our kindness as subversive of their parenting and values. Any thoughts? She is 19. Their parenting is done. Their values will either stand the test of the world or they will not. I say you offer a beloved niece who seems to be in pain some tools. Give her an opportunity to get to know herself better, which is all any of us can offer a 19-year-old young adult. What happens after this? It's beyond your control. Will she take it? Maybe. Will your in-laws be resentful? Maybe. I think the way to frame it to yourself is which is the more agonizing potential consequence. That you make the offer, she takes it, and your in-laws end up snippy, or you don't make the offer, and she suffers so much that she ends up hurting herself. I know those aren't the only possible outcomes, but this is a person in pain. People in pain have been known to do drastic things. I say let her know what you have probably always let her know. You love her dearly. You are there for her. And tip your head towards your guest bedroom. Like, you know what? You could, you could be here. We love you as you are. Good luck to all of you. This one comes from QCBad.com. Subject, cat advice. Dear Quinn, while caring for my mother, I assumed care of two outdoor cats that she put out food for. I'd feed them, pet them, and let them in during inclement weather. This continued after her death. We sold her house, and I've decided to leave the cats who will be cared for by two neighbors. I miss the cats and feel neglectful for not taking them home. Since they're mature outdoor cats, I feel sure they wouldn't bond with my home and would try to return to familiar territory. Should I take the cats or let them stay and not feel guilty? If you were letting them in during inclement weather, you can probably move them. I say probably because they're cats and all cats are weird. But my bad advice would be trap them, bring them to the new house, your house, to the garage, Keep them in the garage for a few days with lots of food and a litter box so they associate this dwelling with eating. Then, after a few days, let them in the yard, but feed them in the garage at night. After about 10 days, that's home for them. Now, as someone who works in rescue, this is the part where I strongly encourage you to think about switching them to being inside cats during the move. It's safer for them it's better for the local bird population, and you're saving yourself having to scrape one up off the road someday. They're changing lives anyway. It's a good time to do it. This one comes from QCBad.com. Subject, is cheaper still okay? Dear Quinn, a friend of mine told me that cheap vodka is the same as expensive vodka. I'm not convinced. Granted, I'm more of a gin drinker, and I do notice the difference there, and I've always spent a little more to get the good stuff. Is there a difference? 
Vodka, by definition, should be colorless, odorless, almost completely without flavor. Unless, of course, it's a flavored vodka. When I took my mixology class, we had to taste spirits at different price points, and oh, wasn't that a bunch of fun Saturday mornings. Without the label, it was really hard to sort out the difference between the highest-priced vodka and the mid-priced vodka. The cheap stuff? The stuff you find next to the corn pads at CVS? Yeah, that tastes like gasoline. The short version of the longer answer is filtration. More expensive is more filtration. You want to make vodka taste like the next level up of vodka? Run it through a Brita filter a few times. Smooths out the edges. You might, however, not want to use that Brita for water after that, though, unless you want your kids to have bum fights between homeschooling Zoom sessions. I mean, I don't know you. It's been a long year. Here's another one that came in a bit long, so I'm going to paraphrase it. Subject, she never calls, she never writes. Her daughter is 20, not living close, with her boyfriend, not great about responding to texts, did call her mother on her birthday, but her mother feels kind of abandoned. And her final question, how can I deal with my feelings when she doesn't reply? Also, is it super petty of me to wonder if I should continue to pay for her phone plan if she won't use it to communicate with me every once in a while? You love her. She knows that. You miss her. She probably knows that, too, which makes her less likely to engage because she sees your name on her phone and she flinches. I think right now she doesn't have much to give. Living with another person, possibly for the first time, especially during the Olympian weirdness, which is 2020, can hoover up all the available emotional energy a person has. That does not mean, however, she gets to be rude. She is an adult. You are an adult. Talk to her like an adult. Tell her what you need, whether it's a quick check-in text once a week or just a picture of her freshly done pedicure to let you know she's alive. But be prepared for her to not be capable of that. Humans are flawed. But she needs to stop treating you like a child treats a parent, which is thoughtlessly. Continue to ask for what you need, without expectations. But she needs to see you as a person and not just the tree in the giving tree. God, I hated that book. And for what it's worth, if you're old enough to live with a romantic partner, you are old enough to pay your phone bill. That's not petty. That's science. We got a lot of pet questions this week. Here's another one. Subject? Wobbly Kitty. Dear Quinn, we are about to pick up a seven-month-old cat who has mild to moderate cerebral hypoplasia. Any advice on one, helping him, do, do I need any special equipment? And two, socializing him to our nine-year-old female cat. For those of you who don't know what cerebral hypoplasia is, it's a congenital condition, they're born with it, where the cat's brain develops in a way that leads to a few symptoms, the most notable of which is kind of a wiggle walk. It's not contagious, it doesn't get worse, but neither does it get better. They are wonderful cats who are just, 
they just kind of walk like they're on springs on a not-quite-level floor. Now, what your new baby needs. CH is not that big of a deal. He'll do fine. But it might take him a little longer to figure out a few things. So here are a few thoughts. First of all, do not declaw him. I know you were never going to declaw him because declawing is a terrible thing to do to a cat. This is not removing their nails, which is bad enough. This is literally removing the last knuckles of their toes. But these cats particularly need their nails because their nails help them to balance. So you need to leave the nails. You can trim them, but you can't declaw. Two, raise the food and water dishes up off the floor. Make it as easy as possible for them to eat and drink. In addition, use wide bowls for food and water dishes because their heads kind of wiggle too. Three, provide large litter boxes with easy access. A large litter box that is easy to get in and out of will be best for cats with CH. You might also want to provide a little ramp for easier access. They exist or you could make one. And four, restrict access to stairs with a baby gate. Also, any other place a wobbly cat could potentially fall and injure themselves. Think stairs, steep landings, anything like that. As far as your older cat is concerned, go to Jackson Galaxy's website. He's got clear, specific instructions on how to introduce cats to one another. Follow these instructions exactly. The hardest part for you will be wanting to rush this because it's going to take a while. Do not rush this. Do not rush this, especially because your new baby takes a little longer to figure things out and will move differently than the other cat is used to. For both of their sakes and for your future peace of mind, take your time. And congratulations. This one comes from QCBad.com. Subject, think of the children. Dear Quinn, My ex and I very amicably share custody of our two kids. Ex's two siblings, who I had felt close to all the 15 years we were together, completely disappeared from my life and have mostly remained radio silent. Not mean, just cord cut. Siblings still send birthday and holiday gifts to my kids in ex's house. My question is, do I still send gifts or cards to their kids? They... The nieces and nephews in question were babies when we divorced, and so they would literally have no memory of me or miss me. But do I have any duty to send gifts to their kids because they send gifts to my kids? Or am I off the hook because siblings mostly sweetly pretend I never existed, and ex sends or should be sending gifts to the nieces and nephews? They aren't sending gifts and cards to your children. They are sending gifts and cards to your ex's children. You are no longer part of the picture, and while this may cause some pain and awkwardness, it also means you are off the hook for gifts for strangers, which is what they are to you, and you are to them. This one comes from QCBad.com. Subject, the mother. Dear Quinn, My mom has so many chronic illnesses and likes to tell me all about them. If she wants to talk to me, it's, I've got a fever and I feel so alone, can you phone me? 
I was her doctor as a young child, and it seems the relationship is still the same. I'm a young, sensitive college student, and I just can't do it anymore. I feel like her parent and doctor. I want her to live a happy life, but clearly she can't. Help. Oh, honey. No. You were never her doctor. What you were was a child. You looked to her as a parent to stay alive, but you were told both tacitly and overtly that you weren't a child to be protected. You were an emotional support animal. I give you permission to take off the harness. First, you are a college student. Congratulations. I want you to do some research. I want you to grab the drama of the gifted child, and then I want you to read it. I will say no more except get it now, grab some snacks, read it. Second, you are going to have to do the heavy lifting of changing the dynamic, which is unfair because your mother should never have put you in this position. But your mother isn't going to give up because the current dynamic gets her what she needs. When you call her, give her the news of your life, and then let her talk for a set period of time. I mean it. Start a timer on your phone. If at, say, the 90-second mark, you can tell this is just sliding into a morbidity and mortality report, say cheerily, oh, shoot, I just realized I have a Zoom study session, love you, talk soon, and hang up. The next time, same thing. The nice thing about being a college student, even in these chaotic times, is that you have a butt-ton of work to do, and she doesn't know your schedule. You can always have something to do, and you must have something to do. She loves you, but she is using you to feel safe, and that was not ever your job. A chronic illness is exhausting and terrifying, but caregivers burn out, and you've been a caregiver your entire life. Twenty years on the job is enough. It's time for you to start living for yourself, which is all any of us can reasonably ask for. You may now retire. She will attempt to make you feel guilty. I give you permission to think I never signed up for this job. I refuse to feel badly I'm not doing it to her liking anymore. You deserve better than this. It's time for a change. I think that's enough bad advice for today. And remember, I can't give you bad advice if you don't ask for it. Your question doesn't have to be profound, complex, or emotionally demanding. It can be about pretty much anything because, let's face it, I am unqualified to offer advice across a wide range of subject matter. And as we all know, sometimes the nuttiest question gets the best bad advice. You can reach me on Twitter, at Quincy, that's Q-U-I-N-N-C-Y at Twitter.com. Or you can post a question to qcbad.com. Just log into letter Q, letter C, B-A-D, dot com, and there's a question form right there. The question can be any length, but I'm finding they work better if they're shorter. Just a hint. 
Before I go, I'd like to thank Richard Emmett, who composed my groovy music, and Keith Greenstein, who designed my groovy logo. People have already started asking me how they can get a Bad Advice Fork in a Toaster t-shirt or coffee mug, and my answer to them is, hang in there, we are working on it. I also want to thank Phil Rohr and Prime Rib Productions for making it possible for you to hear any of this. Okay, that's enough for now. Keep those questions coming, and I'll see you all next time.